Thank you for listening to Scandinavian Crimes Podcast. Be sure to check out the episode links and be part of our other social media platforms where you can leave a topic suggestion or even share some of your insights regarding the subject matter of the episode. We will always do our best to provide a well-researched episode, but sometimes due to limited access to information and translation issues, some information can be lost. It is therefore good to do your own research and get a deeper understanding of a case of your own interest. So with that all said, let us start today's episode. Welcome to Scandinavian Crimes. My name is Devante and say hello to my co-host, Delilah. Hello, everyone. And on this podcast, we will cover famous Scandinavian criminals who made their mark throughout Scandinavian history. Today is going to be pretty different. Uh, this entire story, or at least a chunk of this story, is going to be told from the perspective of one of the surviving victims in this particular story. So sit back and listen to this story as we tell the story of one of Finland's most interesting cases regarding highway murders and people posing as police officers during a very, you know, different time compared to 2022. So this is a story of the hitchhike murders. On Monday, August 16th, 1982, two sisters were hitchhiking in south of Iceland, a common traveling method among tourists. So this part of the story is going to be told by the lone survivor, Marie, which is one of the sisters who survived the encounter with this stranger. I wanted to go to Norway. I never understood why we came to Iceland. Maybe it was my sister's idea. Once you're backpacking around Iceland, you know you're going to be there for a while. We visited Jokulsa and still needed to go to Skasfell. I don't remember whose idea it was, mine or my sister's, but we decided to hitchhike. A car stopped to pick us up. The driver must have been between 40 and 45 years old. He put our luggage in the trunk. I take the passenger seat and my sister sits in the back. I never noticed that he had a rifle. He told us his job was to protect the area and help tourists whose cars had broken down. We get the impression he's some sort of sheriff or something, even though there was no confirmation that he was. He spoke English very well, so I assumed he must deal with tourists regularly. He took us to a cabin called Saluas. The first thing we did was write a thank you to him in the guest book. My sister wakes me up and tells me there's a man at the door. She answers the door. It's the man who gave us a ride. He's strangely calm for a man shining a flashlight in one hand and holding a rifle with the other. It's around 11.30 at night. He accused my sister and me of having drugs, saying he can smell the cannabis and he wants us to come with him to the police station in Hoffen. There's no way we would let him take us all the way to Hoffen. We let him search our bags, but we demanded to see some identification. We wanted to know if he really was a sheriff. He showed us a random car with his name on it. It looked bogus and we told him we weren't going anywhere. He was angry. He wanted us to listen to him. He ran out of the cabin and came back with some metal wire. That's when my sister and I got really scared. We pleaded with him just to leave us alone. He left the cabin again and came back with a large rock clutched in his hand. I stepped in front of my sister to protect her. He started bashing me with the rock and I collapsed to the floor. He hit my sister too, but she ran out of the cabin's front door. I tried to stop him from following her, grasping his pant leg. He bent over and hammered the rock onto my head, knocking me out. I woke up to a gunshot followed by a scream. Everything was still. 
everything was absolutely silent. I heard the car start and pull away, then it's silence again. I couldn't move. I worried he was still out there. After a few moments, I wrapped myself in a sleeping bag and peeked through the door. I could see a car, but I was scared it was him, so I didn't do anything at first. Then I saw it was a police car and I ran out to stop them. They put me in the back and asked me what happened. They drove me to Skasfell, but I still didn't know where my sister was. So this is basically, uh, this section of the story is going to be what happened to her sister Yvette and basically the uh, police information. Police officer Sverenson was informed about the case at 2 in the morning on Tuesday, August 17th, 1982. He began his investigation at 4.20 when he arrived. Inside the cabin was empty except for two bags, two mangled wires, a pool of blood, and a pair of glasses. No hash was found or evidence of hash use. And for those who don't know what hash is, it's another word for cannabis or weed or whatever you want to call it. The guest book was signed by the two sisters followed by a signature that just read, Sheriff. The police went to Greta's house, who during this time was the person who they described in the area and apparently police were kind of familiar with him so that's how they were able to go directly to his house and questioned his wife. Greta had told his wife that he would be helping with the vehicle that had broken down and that was the last she had heard from him. On August 19th at 8.50 the police located Greta's car at Nextfield. Inside the trunk they found Yvette's body lying face up in red froth from her coming from her mouth. There was no evidence of a struggle within the trunk, so investigators concluded that she had been dead before Greta had even put her there. Greta wasn't found until the next morning. He had hidden in a cave partially covered by a large rock. When the police found him, they would see that he was asleep on his side in the cave, looking outward with one eye open. The police noticed he had a rifle with him and then he went and then they went to go grab it. Greta pulled the gun towards himself, cracked it open and removed the shells. He then stated, quote, I wasn't going to use it on you, my boys. This was all an accident, end quote. He told the police as they moved the rock and escorted him out of the cave, Greta's car was visible from the cave as well. Greta told the police that killing Yvette was an accident. He never took her to the hospital because he realized she was already dead and no one would believe him. He had gone up to the cave to kill himself, scratching a suicide note on the shaft of his rifle. This new... The suicide note read the following, quote, they had hash and when I told them to come with me to the office, they attacked me. I know I messed up because you'd never believe me, end quote. Greta was sentenced to 16 years in prison. He wasn't a police officer and had no authority to, to arrest anyone. He was released over 20 years ago and lives in a retirement home in Iceland. Marie lives in France. So I wanted to start off with saying uh, what a horrible situation for the sister. That is very unfortunate. And to like witness that and hear the shot and like the scream, that must have been very traumatic. And I was about to cry when I heard that. But, you know, the show must go on. Uh... I'm actually questioning the, like, why he thought he had any authority, why he was, like, not minding his business. It's okay to help someone, but, like, why was he feeling this, like, 
I have authority. You have drugs or like whatever. And I'm going to take you to the police office. I don't know. I feel like he had this like some kind of. It felt like role playing. Honestly, it was so weird to me that he was. He went back and he was like, I smell this. I smell cannabis, right? He said that. So you're going to come with me. And I'm so glad that they stood up for themselves, that they were like, okay, show us that you are actually a sheriff or like show us that you have any authority to do anything. And even though he wasn't able to do that properly, they still let him search their bags. So it was like he had zero authorities, zero business with them. And uh, it was very unfortunate. I'm also, honestly, as a woman, I would never had, even though you're two, I would never had gone into someone's police car um, like that because I'm way too afraid of that. But I guess that they felt comfortable because they were two. But, you know, being two is maybe not always enough. And in this case, it was not. One thing I will say is that I think that he did have some sort of intention, like, uh, like because it, I just find it odd that he just showed up at the house and, you know, he demanded, you know, certain things of them and he only met them one other time and he had no proof of them actually doing cannabis. Now, I'm pretty sure he was expecting them to kind of uh, like, you know, just kind of comply with him because I guess he had that persona or kind of that vibe that he was law enforcement. So I'm pretty sure he expected things to just go in his favor. But um, I, I'm pretty based on what it sounds like and other things that I've heard throughout, you know, me going to school and case studies I've done is usually it seemed like he had some sort of motive of moving them or going somewhere else. Exactly. He had a plan of that. To yeah. Comply so that way he can kind of do whatever he wanted to do. Um so that's at least what I thought, you know, or was thinking and still think, you know, uh, after reading or kind of going through this story. But also, too, like, I don't know what made him want to say weed specifically. Like, I know this is like 1982. So I'm pretty sure they're like maybe, you know, I know at least over here in 1982, there was a lot of hippies or hippie culture or just, you know, PC vibes when it came to weed specifically. So I think that I do think the drug culture itself was international. So I think uh, not even I think I do know that um, at that time in the 80s, people were exploring a lot more drugs like, you know, mushrooms, psychedelics and stuff like that during the 80s, 70s, 80s. Um, and then it started to kind of fall off a little bit in the 90s and then kind of rise up in specific communities. But, um, you know, at least I think, you know, that was maybe maybe his motivation at the time, because younger you know kids or teenagers were known to be doing weed or something like that i mean that it might have been in america though because that they then they have like a hippie culture and la 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 right i know we had a hippie culture here but like i don't think it had anything to do with um of course there's like drug everywhere so it's like i'm not denying that it's just that i think it was a bit different in america than it is here in scandinavia there was a hippie era here for sure or like a disco hip it was based on the music that was being produced i guess but i guess the fashion sense and stuff got over here too but i don't know if there was like an actual movement here in the same way it was in america but i understand what you mean like there are probably the drug culture was probably like over everywhere i guess um but you know I just think that I don't know how it is in Iceland, 
But who gave this man a gun? Like, how, how does the gun policy work over there? Like, I feel like, is it common for... Because over here, I don't think they're, the gun... I know there was like way back in the days, but it's not... You have you can legally own a gun, but I think you ha- need to have like be a hunter and you have to have a license and stuff. Or I don't think you can actually legally own a gun here. The gun laws have changed since then. I, I hope they changed it after this case because it might be back in the day they still had like it was still okay to have like a gun. Or maybe he used to be a police officer. I don't know. It doesn't really say anything here, but... Uh, I don't think he was. Yeah, I don't think he was either. I think he was just someone who gave off the presence. Yeah, so like I'm pretty sure it was just one of those situations where like maybe he was imitating or wearing a costume or wearing something that resembled a cop. So the, those girls were conflicted. Yeah, they didn't notice the gun until after, right? Like until. Yeah, they didn't notice until he actually was about to use it, unfortunately. Maybe the way he was presenting himself, yeah. you know, because if you re- present yourself in a certain way where you look kind of calm, composed, uh, mm-hmm. confident in a way, I guess, like you can still act like, you know how actors, they know how to act a role. So it yeah. seems realistic. Yeah. Man, so maybe he was like act like he it seemed like he was a sheriff when he really wasn't because he was acting in that kind of way right so i i I mean i'm just saying that because like what would made them what makes them believe that he was a cop like it had to be something that he was wearing like maybe it's his outfit or you know it can't just be presence alone you know like you you don't look like a cop just you know that you can't have the presence of a cop without the gear or the badge or something so i'm pretty sure there was something physical that he had on him or was wearing or that gave him an indication that he might have been law enforcement at least that's what i'm assuming based on the information that we have besides that i'm not entirely sure about what happened or you know what would gave them that impression basically mm, well it's not detailed enough in the story that we can say for sure that that was true but I don't think he had the right car for it, but he might have had some kind of like, it looked similar to a police officer outfit. It might be true. I I don't deny that that's not true. Uh, I'm just trying to base everything of my thoughts based on the story uh, as much as possible. But it could be true, of course, like, because I also questioned the reason why they initially thought, you know, why they thought he was like a sheriff. So it could be. I feel like he was role playing or something because like it's so insane that he, it felt like he wanted to become something and he had like this power complex and trying to like become something had to like it felt like he wanted to control and I I'm pretty sure he wanted to like use them for something. I just want to also say one thing though. Um, this is like the biggest fear of a woman to you know hitchhike or like be alone in the woods or like being alone in a situation and i'm glad that they were together but it's like a biggest fear of like minding minding our business or my business and then a man comes in and it's like 
being all in our business and when you try to stand up for yourself, it can lead to this. In this case, I'm not saying all men is like this. I'm just saying in this case, he seemed to have some kind of power complex thing. So when he didn't have any control of the situation, he took a rock and started to hit her and also chased the other sister and then killed her, even though it was not his intentions in the beginning to do that. He still consciously did that. And he ended up killing one of them. So even though he was like, I feel bad, I wanted suicide, he still committed that and he still wanted to like have this power over them. And it is it is scary. It is uh, it is very scary because you like you don't know who will help you and be kind and stuff and who will actually want to use you and then, you know, kill you eventually. But this is like the biggest fear of a woman and be safe, take care of yourself, and uh, try to question it, and, you know, try not to, like, go with strangers. And if they seem like to be an officer or anything, please ask for a badge or, like, something before you enter someone's car. Uh, but even then, it's like, it, you have to follow your instincts. Um, I just wanted to, like, make sure that, you know, be safe. And it's not easy being a woman. I'm not saying this is fair, but enjoy your life, but be mindful and careful. And uh, I also wanted to inform for the men who's listening to this as well that it is a serious thing that's happening all over the world and that women have to be careful and can't always do everything that, you know, we want to do because of situations like this. So this really affected me, honestly, but, you know, yeah, I would say for situations like this, your best bet is probably to comply. Um, it has been proven that compliance often will at least drastically increase your chances of survival in situations like this. Mm-hmm. And but one thing I want to mention specifically is I think that he had every intention of taking them somewhere else. Like he was trying to exercise power over them. Like he didn't come in and kill them immediately. He actually was trying to get them to comply. And I'm under the impression he wanted to move them somewhere else and do something else to them. So. Mm. So I think like because he wanted to do all that, that's why he kind of told them what to do. But like I said, the chances of survival in general increased drastically if they would have completely complied with him. But I know in the moment, some people, you know, it's either one of two things in human nature, either it's fight or flight. Clearly, the other sister who unfortunately got, you know, killed, she did uh, flight. But then the sister who survived was more of a fighter based on her response. So um, I think that was a huge part of the reason why she survived, because she was the most liable threat, at least to him. He was like in his 40s, right? So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he was in his 40s, so... Um, but physically, you know, even though she wasn't, like, physically a threat, it was just the fact that, you know, she was giving him a hard time. Unfortunately, yeah, it's it's very unfortunate. It's, uh... I hate that, honestly, but, you know, in order to have a higher chance of survival, you still, like, you have to comply, which sucks, um, because, you know... Uh, yeah, like this is affecting me on a whole another level. Um, but I also wanted to say 
that I think it's good that they imp- uh, impersonated him for 16 years. And I also would have loved for them to have made some kind of like evaluation uh, because he knew what was right and wrong. So because he wanted to, you know, end his life after the incident or the murder. Yeah, like it obviously, but it's like they should have like, you know, I don't I feel like nobody in their right mind will like be so wanting to have sex so badly that they would have killed you know someone well like that. I'll, I'll put i'll put it like this sometimes people are driven by their desires and impulses but they also have some mental disability in some yeah, way so right? basically their mental illness or let's say for example sociopaths or psychopaths or whatever you want to call it who display antisocial behavior often they are driven by desires as well some people have more control over it than others, but essentially it's like they're gaining satisfaction from the act that they're doing. So it doesn't always require like forms of penetration or molestation or even really too much of the sexual physical touch part of it. It's just the fact that they are exerting power over someone that gets them aroused or gets them going or kind of gets them there. And that's where a lot of people, uh, I think, need to understand where you know when it comes to anything sexual in terms of gratification it does not always require penetration or you know like i said physical aspects of it sometimes it's all about the mental aspect people really do get aroused or entertained by the physical idea of it especially he's a man you know physically he's more powerful than you know the two victims you know uh, the average woman two of you um two like two average women could not take on you know a man in his 40s who he's not old he's not young but he's also still physically stronger than you because we have denser bones denser muscles and you know we have to we're stronger by default physically um so it's some people get off on that they enjoy that part of the situation where they can just control anyone they want to because they have the physicality to do so that there is a sexual gratification there and that has happened with a few serial killers and criminals before but also something that you know i wanted to consider as well is the fact that you know he was using the cannabis situation as a disguise to i guess get them to get in his car and move them somewhere else because i don't think his his intention was not to kill them i can tell even though he did end up killing one, he only killed them because it became an inconvenience. But he had every intention of doing something else to them. That's why he was trying to convince them to come down to the station for one of two things. Either he was going to rape them or he was going to try and convince them like, hey, I can let you go if you do this favor for me, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, that that could have been another form of him dominating or putting power. But he had no intention of killing them. He was going to take them somewhere else and do something to them. So... He was not supposed to kill them on the spot. But like I said, oh, things spiral out of control. You know what? Because then he'd be like, I smell this. You know, let's go to the police office. And then he'd be like, you know what? There's, yeah, he's going to be like, well, you know what? We What we could do is like, I don't have, I'm not going to take you there. It's only between us. If we, ah, oh, that's disgusting. Okay. Well, that's, I, I'm not denying that either. Like, I'm not saying that's not true. I just say that. Like the way he lost control. Um, yeah, he probably just himself. lost control because his whole yeah the impulsive behavior is. Even though his motive was different, 
it's still like the way he acted out like that i think that is not someone in their right mind who would do that that's why i was like you know uh feel like there's something behind there but you know that's me i don't i'm not a, like a professional i'm just saying nobody in their right mind would do that but i the the one with the like you know trying to comply thing uh yeah but the thing is if they wanted to go to court for that then he will be a participant in hiding drugs right not necessarily because he has no reason to stick around like remember he wasn't really a police officer he could have did what he did and left or there's no proof that he did that you know there's no way for and then you gotta say like that's not what happened exactly They're lying exactly so there's no way for them to verify whether or not he did something as well as the fact that he had no obligation to stick around to uh basically participate in the trial if there ever was one so it's just one of those situations unfortunately wait can't you go to can't you uh be uh, if you pretend to be a cop isn't that a crime impersonator impersonating oh uh, yeah okay yeah impersonating a cop mm. yeah um he, he did get charged for it so um essentially he did get in trouble for impersonating a cop essentially so yeah he got he got his comeuppance for doing that do you feel like in this particular yeah. case that 16 years is like enough? Uh, I mean, I I never feel like it's enough for when you kill or take a life. But I mean, he served his 16 years and whatever he did in there, he didn't commit anything else after that. So, I mean, he's in a retirement center right now or at least was. I don't know if he's still alive, but he served his time and he hasn't gotten any trouble after the fact. So uh, whatever they did, it worked. Right. So um but that's just my take on it. At least I feel like, you know, when you take a life, depending on the circumstances, it's never enough, honestly. Yeah, they didn't really go into the other intents either. So, or at least not what they mentioned in the story. So, but it's. Yeah, they didn't really get into too much detail about it. So, it's really hard to officially say for sure but yeah but uh i guess let me know what you guys think about uh this case in particular and ladies please stay safe out there and all that stuff do not put yourself in a hitchhiking situation even though it's 2022 uh and i can definitely go uh for i don't know what food do you want to mention this time around at the end of this episode in particular you know what i want to get i want okay i don't know if you want know what this is but i want like List the cat, which is basically like Lick the cat, which <laughs> is basically <laughs> I don't know if it's Swedish, but it's like a, a saffron, saffron, uh, sweetish kind of like soft bread with like uh, two raisins and uh, like it, it's like formed as an S. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's yellow. Yeah, I don't know about <laughs> it's all super that. Good. I don't know about. We eat that for like Christmas. But, like, I'm so, like, I, I was craving that right now. Yeah, I don't know about <laughs> something called Lick the Cat. I okay, search it up. It's hard to explain, but I want that. Y'all know what I mean. Nobody knows At least what you from mean. Scandinavia. I think most of you guys know. Yeah, I don't know about Lick the Cat, but <laughs> uh, let me know what you guys think. And uh, we'll see you next week. I hope you stay safe out there. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>